Hey, thank you so much for gathering with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. You know, in this chosen season, this season of time that we have chosen to invest in community groups as a gathering opportunity, uh, it's an opportunity for us to learn again who God is at His core. Emmanuel, God with us. So that statement I've made to introduce our times together, wherever you are and whomever you are with, is very purposeful. Because we need to be reminded that no matter where we are, not just in a church building, but in our cars, in our homes, uh, and no matter who we are with, we don't have to just be with the one who preaches or the one who seems to have more anointing. If we are with people, if we are gathered in a place, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We have an opportunity to reframe and relearn that God is with us. And if you're having trouble finding or forming a community group, let me challenge you again, church. Reach out to us, info at lifechurchvirginia.com. We will do our best to quickly find a place for you to plant. As we are innovating to our biblical root of small groups, it's up to you to find and form a community group. The, the power and the authority for you to invest in that way in this season is firmly deposited in your hands. In addition, I want to encourage everyone that we are stepping into uh, being able to gather together. And, and upcoming, we have an opportunity Tuesday, October 27th. We're going to have a worship night as a church. Worship, prophetic ministry, maybe some exhortation from 7 p.m. to 8.15. And I can promise you we'll be praying for the upcoming election as well. I can promise you, too, that we won't be praying for one party or one uh, elect. We're going to be praying for God's will. Uh, we believe that no matter who's in charge, God is on the throne. And so we, as followers of Jesus, want to pray into the circumstances, pray into the opportunity we have to vote. Uh, but please make that a priority if you can. October 27th, Tuesday from 7 to 8.15, we're going to have a worship night. Last week, our practice was prayer and meditation. I know for me, it's always stretching. It's always good for every practice, but particularly prayer and meditation. Again, I find it to be interruptive when I stop and I lean into a practice like prayer. I found this week, it was really calming to my soul as my thoughts kind of can run themselves and run myself in a direction, centering myself to God's presence and His voice rather than all of the voices around me is really, really healthy. I hope that you found some wonderful, healthy fruit from investing in the practice of prayer and meditation yourself. Let's get to our scripture for today. Again, we're reading our three scriptures, beginning with Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. And he, Jesus, said, To them, follow me, and I will make you. Follow me, and I will make you. A beautiful promise from Jesus himself. Revelation 3.20, again, a type of invitation that's directed to us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And Paul's exhortation out of these invitations. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to open up the scriptures and appropriately to open up our hearts towards those scriptures. We ask that you be with us in our time and our conversation, our prayer and our ministry. Father, we lift up uh, our world as we continue to navigate this uh, season of the coronavirus. We ask for healing. We ask for fortitude. Uh, God, we ask for uh, just help to our leadership. And in this election season, we ask for just the personality and the character of Jesus Christ to be spread abroad in this circumstance. We love you. We honor you. Just bless our time as we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I have all these intentions. I have a lot of intentions all the time. Is anybody with me? How things are going to go, how I'm planning, how I'm purposing. This series that we're doing, Imagination and Practice, was going to be a series that would launch us, Life Church, into a vibrant, healthier, more intimate way of following Jesus for the long haul, allowing the way we think to be changed by God's Spirit. And seeing those different thought processes by different practices that we would actually practice. Additionally, also letting the world feel our different imagination, our different thinking, our different narratives by the way that we serve, by the way that we would love, by the way we would extend mercy. Additionally, my intentions were such. Because of these engaged practices, we would then begin to think and imagine differently ourselves. We would begin to align ourselves to the prophetic declaration in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God declares, hey, hey, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. It makes me think of the moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. He's, it's in Luke chapter 19. He's walking through the city of Jericho. And because of his preaching, because of his miracles that he's working in the surrounding areas, this chief tax collector, this short little man Zacchaeus, wants to catch a glimpse. Because Jesus has done all of these things, because Jesus is going through his town, Zacchaeus wants to see him. So because of a changed imagination, Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. And because Zacchaeus climbs up a tree, Jesus notices him and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to have dinner with you. There's that knock at Zacchaeus' door we see in very practical, tangible ways. Zacchaeus is overjoyed, runs down the tree, and starts to run to Jesus. Meanwhile, all the people who are around Jesus are frustrated. Why would he invite that turncoat, that sinner, that Zacchaeus who has been stealing from us and serving the Roman government, doing the things that he should not do? Why is he doing that? And as they grumble, Jesus doesn't argue. He gives grace. And even in the moment before he gives grace, Zacchaeus responds and receives to what Jesus is extending. Zacchaeus offers up to pay back above and beyond what he has taken from people. Again, we see the interplay of imagination, different thoughts, practices, activity, and outworking of a belief system. And then it's the grace that Jesus extends and declares that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. This is a beautiful picture of redemptive transformation without conclusion cycle that God has for each and every one of us better and better and better and better and better. My idea was to begin by giving ourselves, the church, a run through of these practices in a weekly frame. Prayer and meditation for a week, confession for a week, communion for a week. 
And then in 2021, as a church, we would begin to give nuanced encouragement to a practice a month. Not that we would only do one practice at a time, but that we would be able to focus on, give testimonies towards those things. Intentions, dimensions. Can I I have a witness from parents as you listen to this? Maybe it's because I need more prayer and meditation in my own life. Maybe it's due to my perception of our world, which to me is extremely loud, pushing us always to move too fast. And in this season, I find it incredibly vitriolic. It's just unnecessary. Or perhaps it's just a simple fact that my kids are home more, which means there's a hum of decibels louder and louder and louder. All of those things combined just makes me crave something other than more. Again, perhaps we're just days away from an election that we need to all be praying into and praying for. Whatever the reason, I want to spend a little more time on the six statements I made last week regarding David and praying at Ziklag, which we spoke to in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you remember, David is at Ziklag, which is his home base, and they go out raiding and they go out from there for their missions. And in 1 Samuel 30, they have come back to their home base to find it looted, burned to the ground, women and children taken. And then David has this moment where I drew the six statements out of. Verse 6, 1 Samuel 30. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in their souls, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, God, answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out. Next week, I want to speak from the subject, the hands-on two-way street, industrious parts of prayer. But today, I want to have the conversation surrounding the relevant, disruptive, and fascinating parts of prayer. As long as creator and creation have been around, so has prayer. I think as a student of history, we have seen technology amend our default to asking God because we can simply ask Google. Prayer itself has devolved from a critical part of who we are as creations, looking towards our creator, trying to find out who we are supposed to be, being teachable, i.e. disciples, listening for God's voice in all things. We have shifted from that to simply being consumers, asking for solutions, asking for ways to get what we think we need or really truly what we want. And so when prayer doesn't give us what we want, we deem it broken, and we set it aside. We tend to move on from it. Let me just say this. Prayer does so much more to us than it does for us. I'm not suggesting that prayer doesn't ever do anything for us. I do believe it moves mountains. I have been one who has received physical healing because others have prayed. I don't suggest for a moment prayer isn't for us, but I also want to highlight the fact that something is done to us when we enter into the practice of prayer and meditation. So these first three statements that I made last week, prayer works in every season of life. Prayer works in every season of life. And we see this in the life of David as we're using him as our imagination and practice focus. 
whether he's in victory or defeat in this moment of indecision, 1 Samuel 30, whether he's in a place of doing the right things or making the wrong decisions, i.e. Bathsheba and others. He's an imperfect vessel, but we see David turning to prayer and meditation. We see it in First and Second Samuel, but we also feel it in the Psalms, the windows and the doors that we are given as we read the emotional prayers, the emotional meditations of David. But in the scriptures in particular, I want to direct your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There's a verse 14 is a focus point for people who pray. But it's in this moment, it's in a benediction. As the author writes, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. They start going through practical pieces of following Jesus. Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Nestled in that, of course, is the pray and don't stop. Pray without ceasing. There are so many tangible, practical pieces surrounding the following of Jesus. It works in every season. Philippians chapter 4, again, another familiar passage. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. It's interesting that rejoice is always paired with prayer. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That's a statement. That's not a maybe or coulda. It's a statement. The Lord is at hand. He is near. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious about nothing, but with prayer and supplication and everything. Because we're moved to be anxious should be a signal to us for rejoicing and prayer as an opportunity. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We want the peace of God, but we are unwilling or unable to pray as God encourages us to. There's a connection there, church. The Bible as a whole is littered with women and men, young and old, prophets and tax collectors, those in victory and those in defeat. People of all shapes and sizes and in, in every season who pray. And again, the Psalms are a wonderful place for us to read the prayers of David, not just as something to learn, but something for us to feel in our own bones and say, yes, I can resonate with that fear. I can resonate with that sadness. I can resonate with that anger and see how David allows the but God reality to shift in his life. Even Jesus himself Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, wonderful uh, verse. It says, but he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Jesus prays. The Son of God prays. He prays to be refreshed. He prays to heal others. He prays to comfort and prepare himself. There's this exhortation that Jesus gives to the church, to his disciples. He says, greater things that you will do than I have done. We oftentimes take it back to that. Greater things you'll do because we don't see them in our lives. But I would suggest we don't see the greater things because we don't do the grounding actions. We want the peace of God, 
but we don't do the prayer to God. If you want to have the greater things anointing that Jesus has promised to you, I would suggest we have to adjust and invest in those grounding actions, these practices of the Christian faith of following Jesus, just like prayer and meditation. So prayer works in every season of life. Statement number two, prayer is often disruptive. We see this in the life of David in 1 Samuel 30 that I just read. Everybody is losing their minds. They're talking about stoning him. They're talking about killing David. I don't know about you, but in that moment, I'm not going to feel like praying. I'm probably going to feel like crying, getting angry, throwing stones at other people, throwing stones at myself. I'm going to feel like we need to get up and go do something. But the disruptive nature of prayer suggests that we should do something alternative. And David settles in. This is who God is. In the example of Jesus, this is what he does. And therefore, the way he directs and offers us a disruptive existence. When we feel like going one way, we can choose to go another. When we feel like just being angry and throwing down and honestly accomplishing nothing, when we feel like losing our minds and crying and just never doing anything else, we can invest, turn that energy into prayer. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be angry or we shouldn't be sad. Invest, allow ourselves to do that, but then also find the healthy place of praying, asking God, seeking the face of God, listening for His voice. You see, God routinely takes the natural order of things and politely introduces an alternative, supernatural, not fluid way, such as the way of resurrection. Death should lead to death, but in the way of Jesus, death leads to resurrection. Death leads to new life. There's a reality of the but God statements of Scripture. There's one in particular I want to read, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It's really wrapped up and expressed beautifully in these two verses. But the but God statement is all throughout the scriptures because the natural order of things is interrupted by a God who has supernatural desires for us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Whether we are in a place of our own choosing and making, trespasses, we've committed sins, we've gone the wrong way, but God Maybe we're in the midst of trials and tribulations. Oh, I don't know. Let's work up a hypothetical like a worldwide pandemic. But God. No matter it's trespasses or trials, the but God statement of the scriptures is alive and well and present for the taking as we can grab hold of it in prayer and meditation. Finally, the third statement. Prayer necessitates a personal fastening to God. Let me say that again. Prayer necessitates a personal fastening to God. We see this, and let me read that again. It's one of my favorite scriptures. But David strengthened himself. Other versions say encouraged himself. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. 
strengthening ourselves, encouraging ourselves. That original language is kozak, which means to fasten and grab hold of. Often our faith in Christ Jesus begins in somebody else's faith. I know that's how it started for me. My wife and I were dating. We were in high school, and she led me to the Lord. But it was because so many others were praying for me. So many others were inviting me to have cups of coffee and have conversations and hear about my heart and just get in my life. Not every conversation was about Jesus. It was about me getting to know me. Hey, what was I going through? And so my faith in Jesus really stood on the shoulders of Tanya's faith in Jesus and her mom's faith in Jesus and her dad's faith in Jesus and other people because I didn't know Jesus enough to really have my own faith. And so for the first two or three years, my faith was really on a foundation of a few other people. And it took time for that faith to transition to, no, no, I know Jesus. I don't just know them, know Jesus because they are telling me about Jesus. That's how it started. But I had to then transition to, this is my faith. This is something I'm experiencing even as a father. Our children, Asa, Jude, and Zoe, they have faith of their own. They're growing into that more and more. But we also recognize they grow up on the faith of their mom and their dad. There's nothing wrong with that. But there has to be a transition, a personal fastening to God for each and every one of us. Additionally, if we're honest, what we all really want is for God to reach out and grab hold of us. But this is not how he handles himself, and this is not how he handles us. He is not rude. He is not forceful. God doesn't grab us or accost us or, or shake us to our senses. And as soon as I say that, what comes to my mind and others' minds, I'm sure, are a few times in Scripture where it seems like God does. What about Moses and the burning bush and the angel that speaks to Moses out of the burning bush? When you go back and read that in Exodus in particular, it says that Moses saw the burning bush and then he decided, now I will turn aside. Now I will focus my attention there. There are burning bushes, I believe, in all of our lives, but we walk right past them. We're not ready for them. We're too busy for them to really catch our eyes. Or maybe what comes to your mind is Acts chapter 9 when Saul, who becomes Paul, sees a great light and is thrown to the ground. But Paul still needs to engage the voice that speaks to him. He still needs to be obedient to do what God is offering for him to do. He still needs to submit his life to these disciples of Jesus later in Acts 9 for him to have conversations. My point is that we want God to just grab us and shake us to our senses, but that's not who God is. 1 John 4 says that God is love. He knocks on the door of our heart and he waits for you and for I to open and invite him in. When I say that God is love, I know that many of us would probably think of the love chapter. And it is a beautiful passage. It's an incredible passage of scripture, oftentimes read at weddings. But if God is love, when we read the scripture, it defines and describes who he is. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant. God isn't rude. 
God does not insist on his own way. God is not irritable. God is not resentful. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but God rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes in all things. God endures in all things. God never fails. God never ends. But we have to choose him. God has already engaged everything on his part. Here is the gospel church. God has already done his part. In John chapter 1, the description of Jesus that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus comes, the Word made flesh to interact with us. We see beautiful illustrations of this throughout Jesus' life and ministry, but particularly in Luke chapter 15, these, these God stories. As the woman goes and sweeps the house for the lost coin, as the the shepherd goes out and looks for the lost sheep, as the father runs out to meet the prodigal son. Each of those God stories described by God himself describes a God who goes out, who is always making that first step. We see it throughout the Gospels with Jesus himself as he travels and he engages and he listens and he heals and he does all of the miracles that he does. Because church, what is left is our choosing of him, our personal fastening to who he is. I don't buy the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We don't need no bootstraps to have a relationship with God. You can wear tevas. You can go shoeless. You don't need bootstraps to try and get to God. That's not what this is about. Psalm 24 and verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. Because you don't have to pull yourself up and reach up and grab God. You just have to receive and accept all that he's doing in a father that runs to meet the prodigal, in the shepherd that's going to find the lost sheep. So when David encourages himself in the Lord, when he strengthens himself in the Lord, when he sets to pray and meditate, to choose to fasten to God rather than his feelings or those around him, Here's our imagined statement for this week, church. Imagine that prayer is about you grabbing hold of your available God. Imagine prayer will never fit in what you're doing or how you're being handed in your moment. And imagine prayer, when entered into, will always do you well. As an opportunity today, I want you to use the given signals you already have. Anxiety, fear, worry, regret. When you start to feel those things pop up in your life, instead of ruminating and meditating just on those things, use them as alarms. Okay, I'm fearful. Okay, I'm angry. Okay, I'm let down. Let that be an alarm that you should now use it, focus it into prayer and hearing the voice of God. I want to exhort you not to push away the alarm of anger or fear or sadness or worry or regret. Don't ignore those things. But when those alarms go off, allow it to push you and pull you into, I need to pray. I need to hear the voice of God. I need to get the ephod just like David did. Call or connect with someone. Ask them to pray for you in your situation, whatever it is. Ask God directly. It's hard to stop yourself, which is why I suggested calling out, reaching out to somebody so they can pray with you. 
But in that moment, when you have the alarm of anger, fear, trepidation, whatever it might be, when that alarm goes off, recognize that alarm means I should go to God and pray to God directly for guidance, for comfort, for a way to show you forward. And here's the kicker. When you do that, you're then going to have to be able to make space to hear his response. For our practice this week, again, prayer and meditation. And as I exhorted you last week, do what works for you. As I've said from time to time before, I actually have a Jesus, Father God contact in my phone. I text God all the time because I'm always on my phone and it's a place for me to pray. I pray when I run. I pray when I'm sitting with a cup of coffee. I pray when I'm driving from point A to point B. Turn your radio off. Turn the podcast off for three minutes and pray. Ask and listen. The two-way street we're going to speak to next week. But as you enter into prayer and meditation this week, find what works for you to connect with God's voice and work it over and over again. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we pray like God's exhortation and example mean something to us. May we see and hear God move as we move ourselves to obey with our ways and means in his presence. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.